Let's Roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I'm Alex Chavez. I'm Keith Conroy. I'm Felix Castro. And I'm Rafa Enough. And I've pulled in some experts to chat about scenarios, specifically some new scenarios coming up in the Clash of Kings book. So I'm really excited. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Always a pleasure. Glad to be here. Well, let's get some hobby updates. You guys haven't been on the show a long, in a long time. I don't see Alex and Keith very much. I did see Felix last weekend at Michigan GT. You know, let's start with Keith. I'm still painting my dwarf armada fleet. Um, it's a project I've been doing with my daughter. She helps me paint. So most of my ships end up going from what I painted them to just brown and different colors. And then eventually back down to black and brown. But uh, she loves it. And it's a great t- way to pass the time. Um, and I have enough now for... Um, I think I have about eight or nine ships painted. Easy to, like, to get in over your head. Like, with the, it's like you're just like, just give me another ship and our ship. And then you get like <laughs> 20 ships. And you realize I can't play with like more than nine or 10 in the game. It's that X-Wing booster pack that like, okay, I'm just going to get a booster. This one little ship. And then you're like, oh my God, I have like a dozen ships. Like, all right. And now that they're mostly available as 3D STL files, I mean, it's really easy yeah, to, to get a fleet together. Alex, over to you, sir. I know you, you just come off a big run at Crossroads GT. Yeah, yeah. Got the doors there. Those are always on my desk in some some way, shape, or form. I'm also doing what you shouldn't do, which is like working on multiple projects at the same time, which is like means that like they're both gonna take forever. But I'm spending some arcs, spending some some Green Lady stuff, just kind of messing around with different stuff. Honestly, I'm kind of waiting for the uh, the big Clash of Kings update to kind of get that final inspiration to, to push it. So kind of um, you know wait, waiting to see you know so to see which project I really commit on. And Felix, I know halflings have been in your life for a while. What else do you got going on? In addition to Halflings, also working on some Night Stalkers. Not for like, oh my gosh, they're going to be busted in 24. But like, I that was going to be my army when 3rd was coming out. Because remember when Night Stalkers were like that 4th Surge army? I was like, oh yeah, I would do that. And then like four other players in our local area were playing Night Stalkers. And I was just like, oh, I guess I'll play Northern Alliance then. But I still had a whole bunch of stuff because I was sort of collecting, getting ready for the third edition drop. So I have a whole bunch of night stalkers. I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I'll just paint them up. So we're in that funny spot in the calendar where we're waiting a month away from the clash of Kings book to drop. And there are people overreacting to like the twilight kin. Now I'm ready for the book to drop so that people can see that in the context of the changes that have been happening, they're not as bad as you might think, you know, some of their points are reflective of the, the greater landscape that's coming. And so it's not like that they're undercosted. No, they're costed fairly, like everything else. I'm ready. I'm right. I don't know about you, Alex. I'm chomping at the bit. I'm ready for this book to drop and let me get, you know, let me get more salamanders on the table. Yeah, I'm super excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's always like that, the room of like playing with things. I mean, it, I mean, it's too early to tell, I think, in a lot of these armies too, right? Like anyone saying that they figured out the, you know, army already is, is crazy because there's just so much new stuff i think and there's also a lot of weaknesses i don't see talked about much um within the twilight kin list so so like i don't think that you know the the i think the overreaction is not very warranted um again could be wrong maybe maybe no i think you're, you're right much I- an idiot but you know i think i think it's like i think it's it's worth waiting to, to, to make that call they offensively have some cool stuff right 
and they have the blood hex rule, which lets you uh, have a turn where you're, it's basically a dragon shard, right? Like you get your plus five, you're plus one. So you're f- five defense on a lot of those units and they take a punch, but they don't have a lot of access to heal. There's not a lot of regen in the list. Felix, is there any regen in the list? Not that I know of. Once you smash into them, they die pretty quick because they are elves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny too, because like when people talk about like the, the Vaunted quote unquote 42 lightning bolt in the list, that's assuming that people are thinking like, oh, they're going to roll like 40 out of 42 hits on fours and not be like, well, we just rolled 10 hits on fours. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, I watched a game this past weekend and of the 14 dice for, I think it was weakness that that they rolled uh, zero hits on 14 hitting on fours. So like that happens. <laughs> was that actually the army though? Or was that Kyle Prezelinski's fault? Let's just no, be that honest was, here. That was Andy. Oh, that was a demo game. We were playing like far- he was playing Friday night. Yeah, okay. that, was, that was Andy on Friday night against uh, Bodine and rolled on 14 dice, zero hits. So, I mean, it's a dice game. So crap like that happens. And guess what? That really put him on the back foot turn, turn, turn. It is something you have to adjust for. Cause I, like I said, I played it and he's got so much weakness. Every single unit in my Salamander army, when it hit him was weakness. And he had a lot of phalanx in the list. So like dinosaur cavalry are hitting on threes and whatever your defense is. Cause I got no crushing and I got no thunder. Yeah. And I think like you said too, it's like, there's a speed. The speed on the list is not overwhelming either. I think a lot of people just assume it's elves are really fast, but you look at it and like speed seven to speed eight is kind of like the, the top end on most of the units you see. I mean, impalers are five, right? With wild charge. Right, right. So I think, I think a lot of people think elves think, oh yeah, they're fast and now they're tough and they can, you know, shoot you. But like, they don't have that speed element, especially compared to some of the things you've seen from, you know, all the ortho, excuse me, air elementals from Force of Nature, the Forsaken list with Green Lady, and there's other lists. There's a lot of speed lists out there that I think could give this list trouble, you know. So, so it's it's something that I'm curious to see develop. This to me though is the next halfling list. It is a synergy list. You are trying to use rally. You're trying to like keep things together. You, you know what I mean? It, it is an army that if it spreads out, it, it struggles. And I would say that there's some certain scenarios it would be hard for this army to win with. Yeah, you don't want this army to spread out in Salty Earth or some of these other scenarios where all of a sudden you're not in aura range anymore and you get squishy things that are too far away from inspiring and rally that all of a sudden can get charged and can get pick, picked off. The models are amazing. Mm. <laughs> Having some in my hand, they are they are awesome. Picked some up at Michigan GT and I can't wait. I'm going to do a demo army. That'll be probably the extent of my involvement in what I can. Totally agree. Well, with that, let's jump into our main topic. And so we are back again. Apologies for the delay, right? We had a few good episodes on scenarios that were pre-US Masters, but then I had some home construction, some other stuff, and we all have a lot of stuff going on in life. So, but we're back. And this time we're fully loaded. So, you know, tonight we're going to continue our deep dive into scenario play uh, with the help of, you know, Keith and Felix and, and Alex. And what's super exciting is we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about Ray's because that's the one we haven't covered before. But then we're also going to talk about Push and the update that was made to that scenario in the Clash of Kings book that's coming out, uh, as well as two brand new scenarios that we haven't uh, seen in the world before. Uh, Hold the line and stockpile. It's virgin territory for us, and I'm just excited to hear these experts that haven't even played these scenarios yet, but they probably played it in their mind. (laughs) So, you know. I played it. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, I should mention, there's a reason why Felix is here. It's not just his astute generalship. Is the fact that he also had a very direct hand 
in the creation and playtesting and development of these uh, these scenarios on the rules committee. So, so let's start like generally. How do these scenarios kind of fit into the buckets that we kind of created? You know, we had the area control, we had the movement, we call one interactive. Uh, you know, I liked uh, Keith. You branded the misfit bucket, which is like the blood <laughs> tokens and kill, which we will do at some point. But just give me a sense, guys. Where do these four scenarios kind of fall? I've always thought of raise as kind of like a hybrid between interactive and movement. Um, and one of the things that jumps out to me when you think of raise is like that offense and defense. You need to leave things behind, but then you also need to push in order to get something other than a tie. So I like how the play styles dynamic with it. So I had a hard time deciding between one of them, but I'd probably lean more towards movement, though it does have that interactive, like you need to burn tokens while still guarding and providing enough unit strengths on the ones that um, your opponent placed in your half. It's one of the few scenarios that we have that score before the end of the game. It's the only one, really, right? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, that's very unique. I mean, it's a super unique scenario, right? It's like, you can get tabled and still win, right? That's... The only scenario you can actually do that, you actually score prior to the, you know, snapshot at the end of the game. Um, it's hard to do. That's not very common that you see someone do that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You have to get to like turn six. So your opponent can't really get to anything to really kind of. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But, but Rage is extremely unique in that way. And I think that's very cool. I, I actually really like this. Scenario. I think, I think it, it is really in its own class because you can't, you know, you're, you're playing the scenario you know, and, and you can you can sacrifice a lot of your army to score, and that's a very valid way to win that game. And most scenarios, that's that's usually not. Um, I, I think it's like not very common or not very smart to do that in most scenarios. But this one, I think, is very legitimate to say, "Hey, I'm going to sacrifice multiple units to burn a token." Um, and, and, and as long as I can play defensive runs one other area, you know, we can do that. And, and it's a lot of cool things around raise. I think that makes it that style. Yeah, you pull bits from invade. There's a little bit of salty earth in there with the token removal. There's some mini dominate. It's it's a good one to end with for the normal scenarios because it's got a little bit of everything. That being said, it is one of the more complex ones. You know, if it's your first couple games and you're trying to burn the middle token, and then the game ends and you realize you can't actually do that, um, or burning the ones on your side, or you know, there's a lot to play. So if you're new to the game, I'd recommend playing a couple other ones before building your way up to raise, but it's a solid scenario with a lot going on. Yeah, I hear a lot of hate for raise. I don't know if you guys... I hear hate for deployment. Um, I think it kind of suffers from plunder that like, while you get the choice of being able to place it, um, you end up with two on one side and one on the other because of the 12-inch rule. So like, in that sense, it's almost like a false choice. Like, okay, now that I've placed one, it's kind of like the rest of the map has been placed. Right. Um, there's a little bit that you can do, but for the most part, you get a lot of the maps that unfortunately look the same. I do agree with that. I mean, and th- that is like, you're always going to have the two in one element to it. Um, and I actually, like, I'm, I'm going to try to not, uh, I'm playing so many doors recently, I'm going to try not to relate every scenario from a door point of view. But like, a lot of times, <laughs> to me, raise and invade is, is very similar because my stubby door is trying to get to that raise token. Might as well play invade, right? It's crazy. It's like, you know, really, really stretching out. And um, the big difference, I think, with the raise is, is because that, that two-in-one element that Keith's talking about is that you have to play wide generally in this game. You can't you can't castle up and, and just burn two and, and reliably kind of win with that. that. That's not usually enough, I think, in raise to, to win. I think that's that's where it gets, I think, very tricky, this, this scenario. is that you need an army that can play a little bit wider. And, and if, if you don't have that element, I think you might struggle a little bit in raise. Because it's a common question, Felix, the 
tokens on either side, can they be placed directly across from each other? The six inches versus within six inches. It's a question. Are you measuring from center to center, or if you're it's, measuring it's the from center edge or the, the to- does the token count yeah. as a token? Yeah, I always use the center. I use the center of the token when I measure it. We do the same. Yeah, I do the same as well. Yeah, I, I think I think there's like it's not. Um, I think you can interpret either way. I think it's like I mean, it just says from the tokens, the center or the side. But I think the center makes it a much more interesting scenario. Otherwise, you're even more restricted from putting. I think actually, technically, if you play it the other way, there's actually a way that you can't even put a token down based on on the rules of like total inches because the way it's spaced out. So, so I think just to make that yeah. less complicated, just play the center always, and that way it's it's much you know gives you at least options of where to put things. Yeah. And we did have push uh, that we've talked about before, and we've had that in in the the movement bucket. And we're going to talk about the modified push uh, that's coming in Clash of Kings 2024. Uh, And there's two new ones, you know, hold the line and stockpile. Alex, you know, where do you put these scenarios in the in the which bucket do you put these scenarios in? I put a hold the line, obviously, in the sort of control bucket, the the, the scenario control. It's it's really dominate and, and plunder had a baby. That's that's hold the line, I think, and. Um, you know, when it's stockpile, I think, I think it's, it's a, a loot, but with a twist, obviously, but I think it's very much in that, that sort of loot token style, really, really kind of plug push as well, which we'll talk about. It's pretty much like, I think it was late second, but we had scavenge as a scenario mm. yep. where you could pull tokens, but the difference being that hold, uh, that, uh, stockpile, it limits the amount of tokens you can pull off. There's only ever seven versus the other one where like a goblin player could just cast a lot of tokens, keep pulling tokens, keep pulling tokens. And it wouldn't matter that you had two of the other tokens. They would just have so many by the end of the game. Cause they had all the people that could just carry it. Kind of the difference between that old scenario and this stockpile. So you've read these, these new scenarios. How do you think they're going to impact the game? you like, you know, what armies are going to be good at them? What armies are going to struggle with them? I'll jump in before Alex does, but I think once we go and read the rules of um, stockpile and uh, hold the line, most people are going to be like, oh, finally, a scenario that doesn't punish my slow army. If anything, it rewards it because it's more about staying in one place and more about, well, holding the line than it is about what we often see of, you know, we're going to dance around for the first couple turns and get into advantageous positions and then, you know, win a flank and then turn five and six, right? We're going to pile onto the tokens. Um, but these scenarios, it's not quite as easy as that. And especially with stockpile, you are penalized for that careful planning, for that waiting, for the striking at the opportune time. Because if you try to get into position for the first four turns, your opponent could already be up max tokens. So definitely something to keep in mind. And I think it's about time that we gave a little bit more of love to the slower armies, the armies that would benefit from high defense and surge. I love it. I mean, as the, from door point of view, I love it. I mean, I, and I agree with it. It, it is, it is time to kind of reward the, the slower movement, which I think is not easy to do, right? Like you look at so many other advantages you get from speed in this game and kind of with, with scenarios that kind of let you play a slow methodical game and, and, and benefit from it, I think is, is definitely refreshing. I mean, I think you talk about the invades, the raises, the things that dwarves never want to see, right? It's like having, having the sort of reverse zone, Hey, you know, um, I, I can get to the spot and hold it. And, and it's your job to push me off the thing because dominate, you know, can do that and that's like classic king of the hill but i think these scenarios do it in a more interesting way i think that they kind of makes a more interesting game as well so i'm kind of excited to dive deep into them when we get to it. felix give us the the background of why we needed new scenarios 
one, you do it just to kind of the to kind of freshen up the game. You know, you play the same twelve scenarios over and over and over again. It kind of gets kind of stale. So we were looking at like, okay, what what scenarios can we pull out, and which ones can we put in uh, to sort of replace not completely the ones we're pulling out, but at least you know, kind of change things up. Uh, I, uh, credit where credits due. All uh, the 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 stockpile and hold the lines came from Mark Cunningham. Not quite in that name, but it, uh, a bunch of scenarios he had come up with and developed for uh, tournaments in the UK that I just kind of went through. It's just like that looks cool, uh, and I you know played it locally with some of my friends, and they seemed to enjoy it. So I was like, okay, you know, I, I played a uh, ended up playing uh, hold the line versus Eric Trowbridge, and he was like, this is kind of neat, like it's different. I think he was playing, I think he was playing Rackin Slaves in that scenario, and you know, whatever, but. Uh, but yeah, it was it was fun, and so I was like, okay. And then I, you know, uh, one of the other players, I was like, hey, we're gonna play, th- we're gonna play this scenario, and he beat my butt with it. But uh, it would end up being stockpile. It's not called that in Mark Cunningham's scenarios, but yeah, I don't know. I just I I I, I wasn't really necessarily looking for like, ooh, I, I got to give dwarves a, a you know a leg up on something, or oh, I gotta I gotta punish this particular army type or whatever. I I just saw scenarios that look fun. I'll give it a shot. So. Well, in some ways, you're adding two new scenarios, you know, and I think if you look at our tournament scene, we don't typically play uh, bluff token scenarios, those very much. And, you know, even kill is kind of not frowned upon, but it's certainly not a popular choice. So giving TO is another two awesome scenarios to mix in with the other nine that we do actively play, I think is, is a good thing. Right. I mean, my, my initial thought was to, like, remove kill, but when it comes to the threat of kill being in a game that, you know, otherwise people would just pick 30 goblin rabble regiments that don't kill anything, but could just dominate in scenario play. But if you have a kill as a potential option in a tournament, you may not take those 30 goblin rabble regiments because they're not going to kill anything, you know? <laughs> so, you know, so that's, that's kind of one of those, uh, we, we discussed it briefly, like, do we remove kill? Do we keep kill? Do we do a modified type of kill? Kind of like uh, like eliminate? That was uh, another not really quite like scenario at the end of second edition. Um, so more to follow, because, we're again, we're trying to figure out how to make it not just kill, but add other elements to it. Um, but we just hadn't come up with anything in time for this Clash of Kings. So, you know, I guess more to follow. So what you're saying is you chose these scenarios specifically to spite certain armies and certain people, and it's personal. Mostly, yeah. Uh, okay. All right. Good. <laughs> Alex, uh, oh, sh- never mind. Yeah, yep, yep, <laughs> yep. It's like, all oh, that hurt needs to go down. We have four scenarios to cover tonight, but where we should probably start is a new rule that is in Clash of Kings, which is going to impact not just some of these scenarios, but many scenarios. And it is called Secured Position. This unit is considered a scoring unit with a unit strength of zero. Felix, talk to us about this rule, how it came about, and the application. Like, what type of units do we expect to see this on? Just so people before the flip out on everything. Uh, basically, it's going to kind of be mostly the war engines for, like, the ones you don't see often. Like, the, the dwarf war engines, kingdoms of men, stuff like that. But the real thing was like, how do you make them viral without making them super oppressive like they were in the beginning of third edition? Because remember those old Angar mortars and the, you know, Angar heavy mortars and all that stuff that just would absolutely wipe units out be- before turn one was even done. We didn't want to quite do that, but it's just, it's one of those, we're just trying to figure out how to make them playable as a, uh, as a unit type. Cause 
again, you don't see too many war engines on the table minus, you know, one or two different types. So these units with this rule, they are a scoring unit, right? If you're on a token within three inches with this unit and you don't have any other enemy units within it, right? Even though it's unit string zero, it's a scoring unit. Right. So it'll still hold objectives. You just rock up a troop and all of a sudden the unit's no longer doing it. So anything shows up. Right. If anything with the unit string shows up, it's going to all of a sudden not be able to be a scoring unit. So you know, that's the thing about war engines. Like if you want to bring up, you know, if you want to bring some, you know, and they are hitting on fives and I know there's the cover penalty, you know, the, there are stealthy and cover and, and stuff like that. You know, having the ability for like, uh, you know, a, a pillage to have these unit string zeros, very situational though. Right. Like, I mean, you're not using these guys to mark, you know, you're, you're not moving them at the double to score quadrants, right? Like, or, you know, sections in control, but right. you know, if they're there, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm still flummoxed with like how, how this is going to impact the game. I mean, other than you just have some more scoring units to, to, to consider. And before the Southeast flips out, pretty certain war trombones do not have secured. <laughs> so <laughs> you just saved a hundred comments on the <laughs> fanatics facebook page felix correct me if i'm wrong this this is given to stuff that you didn't see right now in our meta we don't see a lot of cannons because they ignore concealed not obscured the lobbers are the more obvious choice right things like the cannon has has secured position right and it wasn't holistically not everything gets it not a universal every war engine gets it it's just certain war engines that we, again, we don't see now because of whatever reason they're too expensive or, you know, it's a unit strength game. So why pay for something that doesn't have unit strength, that's just not hitting regularly or, you know, stuff like that. So we did kind of look through like each of the armies. It was just like, okay, you know, these things need to, these things need to some help. So Keith and Alex, you know, I'm, I'm really curious. You guys, this rule is new. How do you guys see it impacting? Cause I mean, we have now, uh, 14 scenarios, you know, and a lot of them do require unit strength. So what's your take on it? Obviously, you haven't play tested it and that stuff. So but just what's your gut tell you? The way I interpret it is, is that effectively it just makes some unit strength zero still, but they can score like the objective markers, right? So the ones that normally you have to be within three inches control it. You can now control it. I think I think it's good. I mean, I think it helps um, tip the balance a little bit back into um, war machines being a more viable long range option. I mean, the reason you know again, I'm gonna talk dwarf's point of view like I always do, but you know, you look at a unit like sharpshooters. You know, you have claw shots, things like that. Those units right now are particularly powerful for their ability to to do those scoring. Um, in, those, in those scenarios because they do that dual purpose. They shoot from range and they score in those scenarios as well. So I think being able to say, okay, now I, I don't have to take, you know, the sharpshooter anymore. I can just take a dwarf cannon or a dwarf, you know, uh, long-range weapon and do the same similar role. That, that's, a, that's a big deal. Definitely makes that, that uh, a viable option. I think otherwise, you know, I think sharpshooters were kind of king right now just for that long-range shooting. Yeah, I definitely agree with the amount of claw shots and sharpshooters and the unit strength that also has the uh, benefit of long range. Um, we kind of overcorrected a little bit. You know, nobody wants to go, nobody, maybe the other Keith, but wants to go back to the days of the war machines that, you know, had that kind of firepower. But at the same time, it is good and thematic to be able to say, well, they're not nothing, right? They are still a unit within and have a crew and, um, could balance that way, but I love the idea of the unit strength zero, um, and I think that that seems, and I will be proven wrong, but it seems now a fair and balanced way to uh, give them a little bit of a boost outside of affecting their actual 
um, amount of shots piercing. Yeah, you know. Right, because that was something we considered as well, was just like, but then again, it's just like, when you only have six potential results on a die, like, what, what do you what do you do to... You can't you can't make them all of a sudden shoot on you know negative one or whatever like there's only one through six you can get and one automatically fails so how do you how do you fix that and it's just yeah so we figured this is probably a simpler way to to go about giving them something yeah you know, who knows it, this may end up wrecking the meta I like it I, and I also like the fact that it, it feels like these are on this rule is on units that people weren't taking anyways to Alex's point and Keith too I think you get, we see so many of those. I call them war engines that can score, right? The, the claw shots, you know, and, right. and the sharpshooters. Yeah, well, now you have an alternative, yeah. right? You have alternatives. Without getting rid of those, because those guys are still using strength one. So they're still, they would still get into the corner and they would outscore that war engine. But, you know. Yeah, they're still better. I mean, usually one is still better. I think that that's an important distinction here. So these are only good for, you know, half the scenarios, right? If that, right? I think, you know, so so there's there's a limit to what you can do with it. So I think that that's a, it's a good balance, I think, where it's it's makes them a little bit, you know, again, a little bit more enticing. Maybe take one, you know, like, you know, some people say, you know, it's, it's, you take cannons, it's three or nothing, right? Like now there's an argument to say, Hey, I'll take one cannon in my backfield. And then, you know, maybe it scores a, a pillage objective and it helps support shooting. And, you know, and, and it's not the end of the world that you need to feel like you have to go all in on it. Right. It's like, it's, it's a viable option. I think. Well, let's jump in and talk about push. We're going to review push as currently stated in the book. And then we'll talk about the tweaks that have been added in the Clash of Kings. So push after both players have set up their forces, roll a D3. Each player places that many loot counters within their setup area, giving them to units if they, to carry if they wish. Roll off to see who begins placing their loot counters first, and the players take turns placing the loot counters each until they've all been placed. An additional loot counter is placed in the exact center of the board. Victory points are awarded at the end of the game. Two victory points for each loot counter you hold where your unit is entirely on the opposing half of the board. One victory point for each loot counter you hold where your unit is at least partly on your half of the board. The change, a unit may not hold more than one loot counter for the purposes of scoring. While the people's heads are spinning, Felix, explain to us what that means. Generally, push ended up being like we t- a toilet bowl scenario where basically you'd have one unit get all the tokens and they would just kind of move unmolested and then you'd all be fighting over the middle and then your opponent would do the same and just end up fighting. It basically became dominate with a bunch of extra steps to, to quote Rick and Morty. So so what we were doing to do that is basically make sure that you can't just put all the tokens on one unit. You You have to spread them out. So that would really change up stuff because now you can't just, you know, play keep away. You actually have to have multiple units carrying tokens to to do it. And so you're not necessarily doing that toilet bowl scenario like we, we all talk about. So but obviously that has greater impact because it pushes only one of many loot token scenarios. This would just for push. Yeah, it's not it's not for loot. It's not for all the other. It's, it's just just for push. And that'll be in the-, the other loot token scenarios that are in the book today because they're spread out and there's just one in each area right like there's three of them or plunders five of them it's it's more difficult to get multiple tokens like this one you can literally just hand it to them in your deployment zone right and you can start with the three and so i think that's the the, the differentiation and obviously we'll talk about stockpile uh, as well but so right off the bat i could see it being very difficult in a tournament to get max points and i could see this as being something that lowers just the average because most games right you may not even end up with enough units that can carry these tokens. Or if you have six tokens at the end of the game, like there's very many times where I don't, I don't have six scoring units left. I don't have six units that can carry a token. And that's in a perfect situation and scenario where they'd all be within 
the area where they could pick up the tokens. So this could be like a humbling, nice, you know, 14s, 15s, but seeing a 20 or a 21 in blackjack could be really difficult to get for this. MSU armies, like all the other changes we've talked about, like, oh, individuals, war machines may be coming back, but having this scenario pulls it right back to, yeah, you want multiple scoring units, you want those large infantry characters, um, you want Butcher Flesh Rippers and Mikhail and and all those things that can, Deptor Eternals, that can carry these tokens and don't cost a ton um, if you end up rolling push and you want to be able to get more than just a 15 or a 16. I'm not a huge fan of changing a core mechanic rule for scenario. I think that a lot of players may be confused with only push has the special loot token, but because it's still called a loot token, it doesn't affect loot and it doesn't affect stockpile. So something to be wary of, something, you know, TOs may want to mention specifically. It's only for push and only play it that way. But um, I think that this new cock sounds like it's bringing in a ton of variety. But my preference is more variety with scenarios and units and less with like the core rules by scenario, because that just adds another unneeded level of complexity. I'm right there with you, Keith. I would have almost rather they just change the rules for loot tokens yeah right across the board that way it's consistent and everybody has the same and and maybe that's what they do long term right but i understand what they're trying to address it's the same setup in every game someone has a big bad unit or a cheap unit that they know they can keep alive they give it the three tokens and they push it over the board every single time and shout out to rashad when i traveled the riddle of steel he had a custom scenario where it was a max of two, you know, and you had, they had to be on different units and it instantly changed the scenario. It balanced it. Right. It was a lot of fun. So I appreciate the uh, rules committee taking this jump and um, experimenting with the loot tokens and changing what was probably the most boring scenario. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's a very necessary change. I think when you, when you look at, it, I mean, I, again, every game I've ever played a push, a unit had three tokens and the other army, and the other unit had three tokens. And anytime they didn't do that, it was a mistake, right? Like it was like, I was like, Oh sweet. Like that's a free token. I can just scoop up. I win the game. Right. Like it, it's like, it always makes sense to put it in your most defensive unit and put it, you know, and, and have them just walk across, you know, and everyone kind of cheerleading them on as, as they kind of do their thing. My favorite version of that is when you forget about the token in the middle. <laughs> right, <laughs> being a draw because <laughs> like you get six points and like there's no there's no token in the middle fight over, so it's kind of like okay, well, like that's definitely a very important part of the scenario for sure. Well, I just play the game right, and these things kind of clear themselves up. But you know, that's exactly, just- exactly. I mean, the other thing to mention too is that like to me, um, you gotta keep in mind that like you know what do loot tokens do, and what is what is the ramifications of, of spreading loot tokens, and and one is that you know when you have a loot token, your speed five. You're not nimble and you can't be surged anymore. So if, yeah, and you can't, can't do anything crazy. So, you know, right away, you know, if I'm a force of nature player, I'm going, Oh, shit. like that, that's a problem, right? If I'm, if I'm, um, you know, an alpha strike army, that that's. And now if you're dwarves, you're like, give it to me, baby. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So if I have, if I have three regiments anyways, they're all speed four, I'm going to spread those tokens out. And my game plan didn't change, but your game plan changed dramatically. And so that's a very, you know, I think it's a, it's a very cool way to, to, um, you know, kind of punish those armies that, that did skew in that alpha, like, you know, very speed heavy, um, way to say, Hey, this scenario was supposed to be about, you know, 
having units, you know, that need to slowly crawl across the board. And, and if, if that disrupts your game plan, you know, that's something that you need to reconsider, right? When, when you're, when you're playing it, you know, cause every, every army had that one unit, you know, it's, it's almost an enlist design. You have one unit is designed. This is my token carrier. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, I was laughing. I think, I think it was the core Walter had a unit in their name on army. Well, was like, we carry tokens, right? It was like, you know, it's like, <laughs> I can see that from Corey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's going to be exactly. difficult for surge armies too, right? So if we are spreading tokens out. Oh, yeah. Seven units potentially that can't be surged, you know, because they're holding the tokens. That's That can be crippling, you know, to not be able to use the most important spell in your army on starting three, but, you know, eventually up to seven. Yeah, I really like it. I like the change, man. Yeah, you, you love this change. Maybe it's anti-Twilightkin, because if you're carrying him, you can't be windblasted, right? No, too. Yeah, true. Yeah, so a lot less wind blast. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally, totally was my thought. There it is. Man, we're playing checkers. Felix is playing chess. Yep. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it's still early to know how that's really going to play out. Is there anything else you guys want to talk about on, on push? I appreciate making the change, and I think it was necessary. But I think that after a bunch of games, it may want to be scaled back to maybe a max of two or something because have it. I mean, just three units not being able to be surged or scouted, you know, it, it's going to have a big impact just in this one scenario. Or Tio not playing max tokens, you know, that's a thing too. So, yeah. I mean, this is definitely the extreme version of, of um, you know, like the different modifications I've seen to push. Like I said, where there's two tokens, I've seen some people say, oh, you know, I've seen some turn packs say if you have higher unit strength, you can carry more. If you have lower strength, you can't. But, you know, I, I do like it. I mean, one thing I will say in favor of Alpha Strike Armies is that you got to keep in mind that, you know, it's this push and it, you have, you know, there's there's some vulnerabilities to spreading out tokens to saying now, well, okay, well, if my unit gets killed by my opponent who's faster, they can now take my token and they're on my side of the board already. So, so there is, there is, I, I think it's not necessarily a huge skew right away to the advantage of defensive players, but you have to be careful you still have to plan it properly, right? I mean, I think, I think that that's kind of, I, I would almost kind of think that way if I was playing an Alpha Strike Army. I'd say, okay, well, where can I, where can I, you know, maybe I don't even, you know, get all three tokens. I kind of just. You know, I spread them out, maybe like one or two. Maybe I leave one in the backfield and just go, you know what? I'm just going to take your token, you know, and, and, and score that way. Because I think there's some viability to that for sure, especially if your opponent tries to be too cute spreading them out and, and to, you know, kind of create weaknesses for themselves. So, I mean, again, I think I think it's just a, a brand new scenario. It really, it really, it might as well call it a new scenario because it completely changes the dynamic, um, you know, almost like a 180, right? So it's a very, very different dynamic. And and I'm honestly really excited to play. I think it makes push from one of those more boring scenarios to one of the more interesting ones, I think. Well, should we jump into Raze? That's that's an old classic. It's been around a while, and I know you guys are experts at it. So Raze, after rolling off the two sides, place an objective marker in the exact center of the board. The players then place three more objective markers six inches from the center line on their opponent's half of the board, rolling off to see who places their first. Take it in turns until all the objective markers have been placed. You can contest but not control the objective marker on your own side of the table. You cannot remove the central objective or objective markers on your side of the table. Victory points can be accumulated from round two onwards and are as follows. One victory point for each objective marker you control on your opponent's half of the table. At the end of your player turn, claimed objective markers on your opponent's half of the board are then removed from play. One victory point if you control the central objective marker at the end of the game. I know Keith's ready. Oh, yeah. So this was the... um, you know, we've kind of gone back and forth in different editions between cumulative scoring. I know other game systems, like that's the big one. Um, and I see the pluses and minus to it. But um, this scenario and kill, right, are our only two that have like that cumulative 
um, scoring base to it. So when we get to the stockpile, we'll have a third one that also introduces that mechanic. You know, light, not compared to 40k or infinity, which do a lot more with that in Malifaux. Um, but the um, just the ability to um, take away you know points from your opponent, guard your own and holding while still capturing the middle. Um, it's the most dynamic of the scenarios, and there's a lot going on in it. Um, requires some careful reading, like definitely need to double check what the center token is because we got a couple scenarios with center tokens and this one specifically has its own special rule to it. It has a lot. It's probably, I would argue, the most complex one, but it has the most dynamic gameplay. Um, so I'd consider it one of my favorites. Also because I like to play movement-based um, armies and I feel like they get somewhat of an advantage to this. So. Yeah! <laughs> yeah, I hate this. No, I was kidding. <laughs> no, Raze is actually good. I mean, I, I talked a little earlier how I do like the, like the uniqueness of this scenario and that that it's um it's very cool and that it makes you move and spread simultaneously. So it challenges your army. You know, it kind of asks two very important questions about your army, which is can you play, you know, wide and can you play fast? You know, can can you move up, you know, quick enough in this to, to kind of um, to break? I think there's still some advantage going first in this scenario. I know you have to wait till round two to really score them, but but I think you know it's 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 very cool in that you can you can sort of you know you can build a lot of different game plans I think around around this scenario you know because again you have a you have a tricky balance sometimes you're like you know if, if I'm on my line and they're on their line you know they're both on each other's tokens like someone's got to make the move first right you create kind of a mix and standoff situation where we're like waiting to see like do I do I try to break through you know what if I what if I don't and what if they they what if they get past me right if they're faster than me right like you have all these these kind of interesting problems to solve while you're playing the scenario. And, and, and um, you know, the cool thing about it, it's a burn, you know, so it only takes one mistake and you, they kind of, your opponent burns and they're like, I'm out. Right. And so, so I think there's a lot of cool, cool ways to, to play the scenario. I think um, I see a lot of mistakes made in this scenario where like people don't assess quick enough um, how many, you know, scenario, uh, unit strength you have around each scenario, each token, um, especially again, from a dwarf or slower point of view. I think if I'm giving advice for people playing the scenario, I'm going to tell you, Hey, Make sure you don't just have one unit holding a scenario. You, almost, you know, you, you you have three inches around that to control that that scenario. You should try to always put two units next to it so that your opponent can't be cheeky and sort of sacrifice something very cheap and easy to burn that token, right? You know, and even even sometimes if it's cheap, you know, there's a lot of a lot of cheap units that have unit strength three, unit strength four in some cases, right? They, they, they're you know, if I'm, I'm I'm very willing to throw that away to to burn a token, and I don't care if they die in, in even you know two turns or even one turn, right? It's like you got to make sure that you have multiple units contesting that you're always kind of gauging how much unit strength your opponent can throw at it at any given moment. And so I think that's one of the, the most important things to make sure that you're you're you know contesting those tokens in, in the right way, so that you don't just give your opponent very easy ways to, to burn tokens, especially if you invest a lot of units and points into certain parts of the board. Felix, you got anything you want to talk about on raise or? I mean, I, I don't mind. I don't mind raise, but I know a lot of folks don't really care for it. Oh, I liked it. I like it's kind of it's again. It's one of the few quote it, you don't just score at the end of the game uh, scenarios. So I don't mind it. You know, like I said, definitely you have to. It's one of those you have to think both offensively and defensively in the same breath because like. Like Alex said, sometimes your opponent can just bam, just throw a whole bunch of unit strength onto one token. Even if you have stuff to defend, if you don't have enough, he's going to burn it. Who cares what the hell happens to him afterwards? Cause they've already done their job of mm-hmm. your token that you're trying to defend. Granted, a lot of armies can't do that multiple times because you're probably throwing away some decent stuff to, to get the unit strength over there to burn it. But 
I find that this makes for the the best narrative gameplay, you know, that sneaky, like, oh, you move off a token because you think it's safe, but then something swoops in turn five or six and scores it, or like being able to hold the line on the bottom of six and hoping there's no seven so the person doesn't kill you and overrun onto the, to- uh, the token, or, you know, getting something in the backfield to burn the tokens while the other person's advancing on you. Like, you get some of the best moments and stories from this one, but it's definitely a tough one to do round three or four on that Saturday or, you know, last game. This is a thinking one. For sure, yeah. It's exactly. It's like, you know, and, and again, because so you can, all those strategies work. Sometimes you can play, you can say, I'm just going to ignore, I'm going to play zero defense. I'm going to play all offense and mm-hmm. just try to burn everything and just kill them and slow them down enough. Again, you know, if I'm, if I'm playing doors and, and that my opponent does that, that's a bad, I hate that. When, I'm, when they're playing aggressive, I'm like, even if I, I can table them, I can kill all their stuff. But, you know, then I'm maybe I'm stuck trying to get through terrain to get to that token in the back. And, you know, six turns is a lot of times not enough to kill someone's army and get across <laughs> the board, right? You can't do both of those things. You know, I've, I've done been many games where I've done one or the other, right? You can't do both. So usually, um, and, and, you know, might you really need that seven to, to, to try to get it back. So, so, um, you know, again, it definitely, uh, I like that element of it. To me, it's unique and it's different. And, you know, I, I, I think just because it scores differently doesn't make it bad necessarily. I don't, I don't know. People don't like the fact that it's too, too difficult to think her, but I, I don't know. I really, I think, it's, I think it's different enough that it's really, it's its own category and it's, it's very cool. I, I really like it. I think it's a good second round of a GT. Yeah, you're warmed up. You got your jitters out of the way. Like Yeah, like round one, I'm like, I, I like, I, yeah, whatever. I'm not really in the, real full creative thought process three or four it's a little too late in the day and just you know yeah but i don't i don't mind it is there anything else we want to touch on raise or we want to move on to hold the line well so people who've been just fast forwarding through this this is this is mark this time this is where you want to go to hear the new stuff we teased them enough i think let's get into it yeah <laughs> So let's get into hold the line. One of the two new scenarios at the end of the game, draw an imaginary corridor across the table, six inches on either side of the central line, divide this quarter equally into three scoring zones, add up the total unit strength of each player's units within a scoring zone. If a unit is straddling the line between two zones, it is considered to be in whichever zone is covered by more than 50% of the unit's base. If there is not a clear majority, the unit is not considered in either zone. That's huge. That's so good. That's a big one, yeah. So you got to commit. Whoever has the highest unit strength in each scoring zone controls it. Victory points are awarded at the end of the game as follows. Three victory points if you control the scoring zone in the middle. Two victory points for each other scoring zone you control. I love the fact that if you're not in one, you're not in any of them. Because what that does is people that want to play that game where they sit on the line, and at the end they they they'll, well, I'm in this one now, or I'm in this. Nope. If you're not in one of them, you're in none of them. First thing I want to ask to get clarity, it does say out of the total of, the, of each player's units within a scoring zone. Is that, does that mean majority of the unit does that mean partially within is the majority just between zones like middle and right how, do, how does that work Felix? The majority very similar to dominate i guess right where it's the same thing you need a majority of your unit so to do that. Okay. the reason like i just kind of you know, kind of the inside baseball stuff the reason i chose this one is because it forces you to get out of your deployment zone yeah because there's so many of these different like kind of area control stuff you just sort of hang out in your deployment zone and, oh i'm gonna sit here and control and just score a, a, a quadrant no you have to get out Take your 75-point regiment of scarecrows and sit them on the back corner between two lines, and you're good for the game? 
And so again, you have to move out, you know, you got to get at least 18 inches up. Yeah. Probably closer to 20, 20 inches at that point, but you got to do something. You can't just, you know, place that dude in the corner and just let it score for the rest of the game. So that was kind of the, the idea behind that. And then it kind of allowed us, at least in my opinion. So you weren't focusing just on the center of the table. Cause that's kind of what dominate does. Like everything is just in the middle. I mean, if you want to, you can kind of ignore that middle portion and just take the two ends and, and win. That's super cool. Yeah, you know, or take the middle and just deny the other one and, and you win, you know, three to two. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's kind of my thought on that one is get a little more motion, a little more uh, people getting out of the deployment zone, a little more uh, strategically thinking how I want to divide up this table and not have it just be, you know, in the middle of the uh, middle of the table. It feels like invade and control had a baby. Yeah, I love the hybrid of it. And I love that it's like a simple change of just moving the scoring zones up, but completely changes it. Um, this is my favorite of the new one, the scenarios. I like this one and um, I think it's going to just integrate seamlessly. Played it a couple of times during the development of the, cl- of the Clash stuff. Just like, not even like, hey, I'm doing stuff for Clash. It's like, hey, let's try this new scenario. And all mm-hmm. the opponents I played against really liked it. So it's a good one. It, it changes the way you think because you just can't stay in your deployment zone or you just can't everything in the middle. You have to actually spread it out along that that corridor. So, yeah. Is um, Control going to adopt this same mechanic of you can't be within the two, you need to pick one? Not for Clash, no. Okay. Because, um, right. again, this is new wording that we've been doing. So if it ends up sure. being okay, change and, and hold the line, we, we might adapt it. Who knows? I love it. It makes people be decisive. You're either in that one or in that one. If you're going to straddle the line, you're in neither. That end of the game, like, well, which one are you scoring? Well, which one am I scoring? You know, if you have to, it, that was always such murky gray area. This one is just yeah. like, you're either you're in your route. There's no like metaing it of like, well, I'm going to choose to be in this one because if you're in this one, then you can win the, you know. Right. Oh, if I, if I, if I, this one, I will then contest that this quadrant and then you don't get any points or. You know, For all whatever. the people listening, we're doing exaggerated hand motions. So it's, you know, <laughs> it's a lot going on. <laughs> it's in between dominate and control for me. So control, you've got six, six zones worth seven points and dominate. You got the middle. This one's three. Right. And so you, you really are going to have to focus on two thirds of the board instead of six, six different blocks or one target. I think it just totally changes. There's no zone in your deployment zone. So you're going it, to it's going to it's going to be a much different thing to play. And I can't wait to see, you know, the geniuses here on the table. I, I do appreciate you guys giving all this like thought about what I was thinking about I was picking scenarios. I honestly was just picking like what scenario would I want to play? If I'm, if I'm rocking up at a tournament, like, what do I want to see playing on the table versus I'm not really quite thinking, oh, I want to do this and that and change this and that. The meta and does this army that. No, I just like, what do I want to play? No, it is cool. I mean, I, the one things I really like about it is, again, there's a little bit of movement involved, right? Like, you, even in Dominate, right? Like, some, you can just pivot off your deployment zone and you're you're scoring, right? It's like, you know. If you're in not, the middle, it's just barely yeah, moving. In the mi- yeah, in exactly. You put your army there and that's it, right? And, and Right. And in this, you, you can you can... You know, if, if I'm looking at this initially and I'm, I'm you know, I'm just going to advise how to play it and I think it looks cool. I think you kind of play that style, but you kind of move a little bit off. You know, you like imagine that center deployment now, but you move it to kind of between the three and the two and you probably play those two thirds. That's probably how, you know, that's my, that's my right. dwarf advice. If you're, if you're trying to play a scenario well, but it's again, it was challenging now because you have to, you have to fight for both, both points. You can't, you can't just focus on one and, and say, come get me anymore. You have to 
you know, you have to play a little bit off center and you have to protect your flanks properly. You have to play, you know, proper Kings of War where you're, you're kind of, um, you know, fighting in, in an angle and trying to, you know, make a defensive line where, it, you know, plopping in the middle is very easy to do and just going, hey, all right, turn turn six. Let me move my sharpshooters all forward for you. <laughs> right. They're all scoring. Fantastic. Right. Like, no, this takes this takes a little bit more movement um, and not too much. Again, I, again, I don't freak out when I see the doors, but I but I look at it and I go, hey, I have to, I have to do something. I can't can't just sit back like like they can't see an appointment zone all game and, and, and do and score and win and stuff and you know you need to you need to move your shit around you need to hold areas and you have to defend areas and maybe your opponent you know maybe maybe it should be cheeky you throw one unit strength on the side and, and win a two points with it and that you know that maybe you just hold the other one and even you know i could see something cool or like you know you tie the middle or something and, and you have to like you know, maybe maybe opponent can't spread fall wide enough, or you know, the, the ultimate you know challenge would be try to try to win both sides and let your opponent take the middle. That that'd be really fun to see. I'd be curious to see if anyone balls enough to do that. But, that, <laughs> but that's, uh, yeah, the, the dwarves would be. You know, I think a lot of dwarf players would want not. You know, they would want to take that middle one because that's the easy one. Then maybe try and get the other one. But then a faster army might be able to swing around the, the mm, flank. Totally. And take those, yeah. You know, take one and two. All of a sudden, that dwarf player is like, ah, crap! I gotta. I gotta right. win one of these ones because otherwise I'm exactly. gonna lose. Let's yeah, do it, Alex. Dwarfs versus Herd. Let's play it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, you um, saw that very commonly in Dominant. Your opponents would do that, but um, the, the counter plan is just, I'm just gonna waste your time. I'm gonna I'm gonna hold you back just enough so you can't swing back to the middle, right? And that was a very viable way to play Dominate, right? And a very effective way I'd say to play Dominate. And this this turns that on its head, right? That says you know now if my opponent. Uh, wins the side battles, right? They're they're putting extreme pressure, right? So so if your opponent's attacking from two, you know, wide angles on you, and and you're not defending both of them properly, um, you're gonna lose the scenario straight up. You know, it's, it's gonna be something that you have to defend yourself, and you have to you have to maintain a good battle line. You have to really, you know, um, spread and, and play properly. And, and and again, it's like you can't just like give up a flank for free. You, I mean, you could, but I think it, it puts you in a really disadvantageous position in this scenario. And I think you know, I like it. I think it's a it's a fun one. It's, it's interesting. It's a risk and reward thing, right? So the center one's worth three. Right. But if you put everything, all your eggs in that basket. It's not enough. It's not enough because you're going to lose. Or worse than that, they're going to come up. Like you said, Alex, they're going to pivot. They're both, both flanks are going to be looking into that three. Exactly. And then you're going to have a bad day on the bottom of seven, right? Right. You can't hold everything. You can't hold the center, get, you know, with two, two sides army looking at your middle. You can't hold the center and one of the sides. You're going to lose either side or the middle. It reminds me of the classic loot where you, you pick two out of the three tokens, right? Exactly. exactly. Right. It reminds me of that. What are you going to do? So before the new scenario, I always felt that um, Dominate was the scenario that like terrain affected the most. But now that we have this one, right, when we make a table, for the most part, we keep a lot of our terrain out of the deployment zone, and it ends up within that corridor. And we normally have two you know, blocking terrain pieces and a couple walls. And I see terrain making the biggest impact on this one, just by nature that we keep most things along this line. So something to be cognizant of with maps, right? Impassable in your corridor, like, oh, okay, <laughs> this just knocked out a huge section. Yeah, yeah. When, the, when that area that has most of your terrain becomes the scoring zone. Exactly, yeah. And that's the way we make our tables, right? Because we have those old Warhammer fantasy battle bad habits of putting too many things mm-hmm. in the deployment zone of like hills and the advantage and all that. But now in this one, so it'll be interesting to see that that dynamic with the two of them. And the zones are only 24 inches wide by 12 inches deep. So they're not very big. Right. You drop a blocky piece of train in one of these. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is 
It is smaller than you think, uh, having played it a couple times. Yeah. Oh, boy. That's why that 50% rolling was, was actually quite big, right? That That's a very important point in this scenario. It's because, like, you know, you can bully people out of a zone, right? Like, if I, if I, if I like, move up enough, right? Again, if, if you're... Let's you know. Let's pretend I'm playing a fast army, right? Uh, crazy, but let's let's imagine I'm like pushing <laughs> up on these zones, right? Like if I'm if I'm bullying you out of it, and even, let's say you fight me, right? You're fighting on the line, but I, I got there first, and, and like I'm I'm in the zone, and you're not. Like that's that's a big deal. You know, I look at a lot of like ogre style armies that are really going to have a lot of unit strength to kind of push around and to to get to the middle very quickly. Ogres are going to be very good at this. Yeah, especially with the majority. You can't just be in the zone for purposes. It's the majority. So that's a big deal. There's not a lot of real estate in that corridor. So you'll be able to pack those 40 millimeters in there pretty easily. Yeah. Right. So, Felix, with this new rule about the if you're exactly in the middle, I assume that's intention based. Like if you roll an overrun or somebody wind blasts you, you can't game it so that they lose their unit strength. Right. Um, if you end up like in that situation, somebody wind blasts you. So you're over and now you're in between the two lines, right? You're not going to lose your unit strength. Unit falls into the void zone. You overrun. Like, I didn't mean to plan this, right? I rolled a two right. and now I'm like within the... Will it happen on the table? Probably not. Is it going to get mentioned on Facebook and Fanatics? Yes, it will. So, 100% on Fanatics and Facebook. 100% there it is. Yeah, it's definitely something. I mean, like, yeah, that's a good question. Like, is it vibe? What if I put a unit that blocks you? You know, I wind blast you, but then you, you hit mine. So, like, you, I place it exactly so you end in the middle line, right? Like, you know, there's, you could game that, I guess you could try, but uh, that never happens in a real game, right? Like, let's be honest here. <laughs> it's like, I, th- I think it's an intention, right? You, you have to declare your intention and, and assume you have to move it. And, and um, I wouldn't, I'd hopefully look past that. I, I know. Um, I certainly wouldn't rule it any other way if I was a TO. Keith brings up a good point. It's it's better when everybody knows the rules when they come to the table. <laughs> 100%, yeah. Well, should we get into the second new scenario? Yes. Let's do it. All right, so we're going to talk about stockpile, and we alluded to this. It's a loot token scenario. And so stockpile, before rolling off the two sides, place three piles of loot counters on the center line of the board as follows. One pile of three loot counters must be placed in the exact center of the board or as close to it along the center line as possible. Then players alternate placing a pile of two loot counters each along the center line, rolling off to see who places their first pile. Loot counters cannot be placed within 12 inches of each other or within three inches of locking terrain. There should now be a total of seven loot counters on the table, a center pile of three and two piles of two. A unit can only pick up one loot counter from each pile Per turn, for example, it would take a unit three turns to pick up the, the three counters from the center pile. Victory points are awarded at the end of the game as follows. One victory point for each loot counter you hold. Played last night. Super interesting. Puts loot on its head. Ask that clarifying question, right? Make sure we understand what we're talking about here. So the rules very clearly state a unit can only pick up one loot counter from each pile per turn. Does that mean, Felix, if I have two or let's say I get crazy, I have three units touching a loot pile um, because loot piles are sort of a token, right? They have that width to them. Um, can they each pick up a token separately? If you're able to get three units on top of one token, I mean, <laughs> sure, yeah, they can they each one of okay. a unit, but uh, be a token. yeah. Congratulations, you're an Alex Chavez. <laughs> you, you, you've won geometry. But I mean, in reality, I mean, most players aren't going to be able to get more than one unit onto a token. But I said, you know what? If it if, if you're able to get it, go on ahead and, you know, get, get, you know, good on you. But there's still only three in the middle and then two and two. So seven tokens total. 
So this is kind of like, uh, I think it was Scavenge, and I think late second edition, but Scavenge had like unlimited amount of tokens you could produce and like puts a hard cap on it. There's only ever seven tokens that you get pulled off. You know, and a warrior's horde is nine and a half inches and a cavalry horde is slightly more. So you'll never have a situation where a one unit can pick up two tokens from two piles. Right. Now, now that does bring up again, if, if a token got dropped, you could pick up a drop token in a pile simultaneously. Nothing's stopping that, right? Yes. If you destroy a unit, they drop it like from shooting and it gets dropped. And now you're able to move on to two. Right. So that's the technically the pile is, is a separate sort of action that's that's separate of any other tokens that would be anywhere else on the battle, right? Right. So you'd be able to do both. And it's one of those things that we have. It's just like the reason we had it like this was because like, yeah, you could put stuff to pull multiple tokens off a pile, but like your opponent knows you're there. So like as if they're shooting or something like they're going to bullet, bullet, gun, gun and try and take that unit and, and take them out before they're able to pull tokens and get away. So the distinction here, though, that's interesting is with loot, you get the token, and you run away. Well, this one, there, there is an advantage. There's probably some pull to stay there and get the other tokens rather than just turn around away. So we might see different types of units that we don't traditionally see grab loot tokens. So there's something I want to talk about, too, which is which is pretty um, could change the scenario quite dramatically, I think, um, which is where that first token gets placed. Um, let me make sure I read this correctly. Um, players alternate placing them, right? So let me ask you, Rob, when you play the last time, was there one on the left, one on the right? Well, yeah, you got the one in the center, right? And so that means you have 36 inches to the left or to the right. That's exactly the point I'm going to bring up. So so there is a way to put two on one side of the board, both piles. and, and um, You can't put it within three inches of the edge of the board, right? There should still be enough room. So that means there's only 33 inches because it's treated as blocking terrain, right? Right. I had the same note for when we talked about plunder, right? It's that advantage of sometimes going second. Like if you have an aggressive army and somebody puts one down you could also put it right next to them or as close as possible. No, it, it works, yeah. So that now you're negating that um, speed advantage. So now it's like, good, you can have that whole other flank. I don't really care about it. I have all the piles on this one half of the board, and that's a, a big advantage to certain army types and styles. Yeah, so so what I was going to mention, and, and, and I'm, I'm glad I was right about this. I was <laughs> confused for a second. Um, so, so there is a way to place your first token so that a second one on that side is not possible. And that's by like, like Rob said, if you, if you measure out, you know, there's not, there's not within three inches of the board and you put one um, probably about 19 or so, 20 inches or so um, you put a token there, your opponent has no room to put one between the two, the middle one, that one, and then on the side of the board as well. So, so it matters where you put that initial token that you can stop a unit from, from putting one um, next to you i think so that that's um that's a very conscious decision you should be making when you play the scenario so you know you want to decide right away do i want to play water you know if i do then i can put that first token i have first pick i can put it there uh, to make sure i stop my opponent from doing that if your opponent puts one you know just a little bit past 12 of the center line then you have a choice now you can you can put one just a little bit past 12 there and, and then play that side of the table and then you've effectively half the half the board is now you know not really a factor in, in at least in the scenario point of view so so just kind of an interesting side to like the way it's it's worded and the way it's set up is that you do have the ability to kind of play play this game uh, very differently based on, on where you put these initial tokens. And I'll say too, the terrain again, big impact on this one on the center line, course, like much with plunder. You know, you can have that decision and some maps already made for you. Like, okay, I have to put it if I want to put it on this side, I have to put it here. They can't put it anywhere else. Like, 
you know, especially with blocking terrain, it can sometimes give you that false false choice. That, that's 100% true. Yeah. What I mentioned is dependent on if there's no impassable terrain nearby to, to prevent that that three-inch dropping of the token. So, um, so again, but it's, it's, it's one of those things to think about, right? Because, again, like you said, in Plunder, is that same decision arc where it's like, hey, I put a two-point here. My opponent's going to put two-point right next to it, right? And that, that changes the dynamic quite a bit. But um, but with those technical details aside, um, talking about the, the meat of this scenario, I think, which is – which is very cool. It's 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 that slow burn, right? It's a slow build up, right? It's it's it, this is not a scenario you can play, you can ignore for for five turns and say turn six, time to go win, right? Like I mean, that that's much harder to do. You, have, you basically have to table someone, right, to do that effectively here, right? If your opponent's you know scooping up tokens, you're not going to win on turn six in this scenario, right? It's 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 something that you can tie at best, right? If they have two and they ran off in the corner and you haven't got anything, turn six, you know, again, unless you get this. Perfect, you know, two units dropping on them at once. Um, it's very difficult to do that, and I like that. That's I really love that about the scenario. I think that's that's a, a very hard thing to accomplish, and I think this one does it, you know, in, in a very clever way. Where it's like you want to um, you want to get the you're rewarded for getting the tokens early, and you're rewarded for getting them, um, and and you know your opponent can't you know ignore that element of it too much, you know, otherwise they're they're going to just play from behind, right? So you have to. Really- that. Look at the same comments too with this many loot tokens compared to the normal like three that we're used to. Now you have upwards of seven um, units that Wind Blast, Nimble, Surge, right? All these rules being negated and affected. Um, it's going to change the game a lot in these scenarios. And I think it's going to impact list building now that there's um, multiple uh, scenarios where having these loot tokens and what it means if you have like an all surge army or something that relies on, you know, if you're going for big points in a GT and you have a fast nimble army, knowing that you could potentially have six units going down to speed five, losing nimble and needing to, um, needing to stay in the same space, you know, the armies that would benefit from flying around and getting into position the first four turns. Well, Unfortunately, your opponent holds all the cards and all the tokens at that point. So now you're taking an even bigger risk if you don't break or you're not in position or they've managed to uh, negate some of your advantage, right? You can't just leave it up to turn five and six anymore. I, I like the change and it's it's going to benefit some MSU armies. It's going to benefit um, the trash meta. It's going to definitely benefit high defense, slower armies for sure. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to benefit slower armies too, because one of the things that having played this, traditionally in loot, you got maybe some armies that have fast units, a few, right? They run, they get the tokens, they turn around and they start running it back. And then they bring their heavy hitters up through them. Right. And kind of, you protect those guys holding the tokens. Well, if you do that and you, okay, great. You got three tokens and you're running away. There's still four tokens on the table (laughs) at those points. So what happened last night when we played is, your second wave better be able to hold off your opponent. Correct. Well, what happened is it ended up being just like a scrum over the tokens. We're right there fighting. Bang, bang, bang. And then if you had one token, you had two, right? Like, I mean, just the way the nature of the beast is that if you get these heavy combat units up there, they're fighting and they're in every turn. I'm, I'm on that line. I'm, I'm picking up a token and I've got three tokens, but I also can't just back away. Right. You know, you can, but it, you know, it, it plays very differently than loot. Because as you said, Keith, seven tokens versus three. Yeah, and they're only ever worth one point. So I think another uh, distinction to highlight compared to push, which is, again, I can see the complexity and I can see how these ones might be a little confusing at first. So pay special attention when you read these, right? No matter which side you're on, in this particular loot scenario, it's only ever worth one. Right, and there's some there's some cool dynamics too where like I could see 
a world where like I move on the token, but I don't pick it up. I'm like, you know, hey, you know, your your turn, right? Are you gonna, are you going to come try to fight me? Like, I'm not going to pick these up, right? So now, like, I'm giving my opponent less time to maybe catch up, right? If they're, if they're like strong here, I'm going to throw my my maybe my phalanx defensive piece on top of the tokens, and it's like you have to move them and kill them before you start grabbing these tokens, right? So I've I've, I've now added an extra clock to you. Well, here's another thing: you got a horde, pick the token up, drop it, right? And you could drop it anywhere in your footprint, right? You could drop it, but my point is that if you don't even pick it up, you drop it where the unit can't get you. So, like, if you're wider than that unit, you drop it on the like the edge of your unit. They're in the middle if they want to fight you, so they there can't get yeah. it right. And you could do that with two tokens or three tokens, right? Oh man, drop them one on each side, and like, okay, you need three turns to get all these tokens. There's a lot of strategy here, guys. That hasn't even come out yet. Right. So yeah, like you said, you the whole like a horde of ice naiads or whatever. You put one token like in the in the lower left hand corner, one in the upper right hand corner, and it's just like cool. Uh good luck. You're gonna have to hit me with a lot of stuff so that you can overrun onto it. Right. Because you can only ever pick one off of the pile, but if it's dropped on the ground, it's just like any other loot, you can pick all three back up at the end. And that's a good point too, right? If you do that trick, but then they bring a horde in and then they smash you and they overrun, well then they're gonna get both tokens. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if you don't have them picked up, right? Because if they're spread out, you're you're as wide as them. The geometry in this one is going to be crazy. It's just like a lot of um. There's a lot of posturing of like you figuring out. You, you have to really know where you're strong, where you're weak, right? Because like there's there's a lot of cases I can see someone picking up the tokens and like said helping their opponent, right? It's like oh sweet, they picked up two tokens for me. Now I just come in, I one shot them. I got those two tokens. Sweet, like thanks, thanks. You know, appreciate it. Uh, you know, you you have to really understand when to grab them, when not to grab them, when, when to like you know when you're where you're strong. Because again, it's not. It's not obvious, as obvious as like loot, where loot's like you just grab that token and you run, right? Like you said, you you know, it's like you, let's just play let's play the whole pass the token back, right? You know, toss the token behind you, right? Like let, let's just do that and loot. Like in this in this scenario, you, you know, you you could try to do that, and, and it's just got a lot more steps and a lot more dynamics to it. So it's not as straightforward as as it would be in the other scenarios normally. Um, one thing I will talk about, and again, it comes to that. There, there is a way to grab, like you said, to grab token with two units, and that's something I actually do a lot for all of the sort of center loot base. So your pushes, your um, I guess I'm just kind of I guess plunders maybe like loots. Those ones where there's a center token. Um, one of the things that I, I always do, and I always you know tell people when I play them, is like you can deploy your units such that two units will cover that token if they go straight forward, right? So you put you know imagine the center line being drawn, right? The, the tokens have a width to them. So if I just put a unit on each side of that. You could, in theory, move those units forward. If they move 12 inches, they can both grab a token first turn, right? So that's something that, you know, if, if you see something that your opponent's weak at and, and, and you know, maybe you can capitalize on that, you, you can move up and grab tokens very quickly. So, there's, again, there's a lot of, like, planning you have to do here to kind of make sure that, that you, um, you're able to do that and, and grab those in time. Another strategy is just get the tokens on as many units as possible. And that means that here's, I got, I got four or five. Once they've got them, you got to kill them to get the tokens back. Yeah, we're not, we're not used to having seven tokens like in loot, right? It's like it's, it gets wild, right? It's like, hey, where, where the hell is where are the other things going? They're going all over the place, right? It's like exactly. And I, I like that strategy, right? Just like spread out, grab everything at once, and just like you know, good luck, bro. Like just deal with that, right? It's gotta be itching to bring the goblin flea bag army back out, right? Like twenty troops of flea bags. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds fun. That's a- so, Felix, with the loot token piles versus the normal loot tokens, can we now scout and pick them up? Does it change any of that? Are we going to see first turn uh, four Shambler armies coming up and start grabbing tokens? If it's still a loot token, the loot token rule should exist, right? It doesn't change it. It doesn't change it in the Clash of Kings. So if it doesn't allow it in the regular book, then then it wouldn't allow it. You cannot. Okay, then you can't. Okay. But that's a great question, right? Uh, because now you're dealing with seven tokens. 
you know, but still, I, 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 even if you can't pick it up with a scout, it might still, maybe it makes sense to bring that tree man up there. You know, in loot, you get people that move up within 12 inches of it. They want the other unit to pick it up and then you smash them, right? Well, in this one, you know, it's worth three instead of one or two instead of one, potentially. You guys are smarter than I am. You guys will figure this out. Yeah, I, I think you're honest. I mean, I think there's there's average there, there is advantage in defense in this scenario. No, no question about it, right? If I can, if I can again, if I can get to that center token quickly again, I look at army like ogres, which is is twelve inches is, is kind of the key number when it comes to the loot scenarios because it means you can grab a token turn one. Um, you can move up and grab it. Right, there's no restriction on that. Um, so if you have if you have the ability to march again, assuming there's no terrain in the way, right, and all that stuff, but assuming you have a clear shot to the to the token, you can grab those, and, and again, in some cases, are grabbing multiple tokens, and so I, there's no question, in me in my mind, that gets you a leg up in the scenario if you're able to grab those tokens early and, and grab them and, and kind of know, hey, I have these three in the middle secured, I only need you know one more over here, um, and that's that's my four, and I can't lose, right? So so that 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 changes a lot, right? Again, it's like. You really have to assess that situation and figure out, um, you know, where you're strong, where you're weak, how to seize initiative. I, I do think there's a lot of advantage going first in this scenario. Um, and again, it's occurring to, like a good defensive position to, to hold as many tokens as you can. I think knowing the scenarios in place, not only you're going to need a token holder that's known, you know, something that can advance tokens up the board for push, like we would always have, you know, what unit's going to carry my tokens. Now you're going to have to find like, well, what units are going to defend my tokens. Not only are not only can I escort them up the board, but which ones can hold tokens and survive and stay there and still either contribute as a ranged unit or be sturdy enough as, you know, in snare or defense six to make it to the end of the game, holding these units or holding these tokens without being penalized too much by losing some of their special rules they could otherwise have. And the Adam Ballard move is going to come into play more now, right? Which is, do you do with withdraw? Yeah. You drop the token and then you charge back into combat, right? If ceremonial guard have three tokens and they take their one is withdraw, drop the three tokens and charge back into combat. Then all your Lakilanons will go pick them up. They're no longer on the pile, so one unit should be able to pick up all three. Yeah, there's a lot of dynamics at play here. I mean, I look at things like Force of Nature, which you know they have they don't want tokens, right? They want to serve their units, right? Like like if there's a bunch of these things floating around everywhere, right? It's like that, that that's just like a nightmare for them. Like okay, like like I don't want to pick this token up yet. Like you know, it's like you know they want to they want to they want to serve their elements onto your rear, right? They don't want to pick those things up. So like it they become this tricky situation where like like do, do, like do I do, do, thinking do I grab them? Do I like grab them later? Like do I have enough time later to get them? Like it's it creates a lot of interesting questions and and, and again. Um, uh, interesting dynamics, I think, um, that that is is more present than something like plunder, or even where you, like you can just kind of grab two tokens or like, loot. You grab two tokens and you're and you're winning, right? I'm excited though. We're on the cusp of something new. How you guys play this is going to develop. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I love new scenarios. I mean, I'm, I'm really happy they're here. Keep it now and figure it out. So you know, <laughs> but honestly, I consider push a new scenario as well. Honestly, the way the way it's in and out, you might as well call that a new scenario. So I, I think, um, to me, to me, I, the, the more scenarios, the better. I think that's one of the more interesting parts of the game is, is really like having that. And, and you know, again, it's like you know, my my question is going to be like, does that does it get to the point where it's going to influence army design, right? Like, is it going mm-hmm. to you know change the way you play your army, right? If if you're going to be you know, right. run into these, 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 you know, scenarios, if, if anything, I want to, you know, if I, I want to say there's a commonality between the scenarios, you know, it's like, I'll say that they play around the center of the board. Right. So I think that, you know, something that you want an army that can get to the center quickly, that can, that can, you know, maybe be pretty tough, but doesn't have to be too fast. Right. So again, I look at something like ogres and I say, Hey, that, that looks, ogres armies look, you know, those, those kind of, maybe just ogres in general, but large infantry units in general look a little bit like, 
better for for this kind of thing like maybe maybe find a way to kind of put you know two of those units in your army you know where maybe you didn't have that before maybe maybe over palace card become a better choice now maybe you know you're looking at um trolls and like you know goblins things like that those units that like you know these scenarios those could have a very defined role where they kind of become more interesting I, I'd, I'd be curious to see if that's the case or not yeah uh multiple scoring units the large infantry scoring unit heroes having you know three quarters of your army being able to have unit strength and carry tokens. I think we're going to see that shift even more to that direction. I just want to see Alex figure out how to get a token back to a cannon. <laughs> they they can have it hold a token. Can, can, I guess, can cannons carry tokens? I guess I can now. Huh? Why couldn't it? It's a scoring unit now. Well, with the war engine. So it'd be- yeah, you're stuck there. Hey, I mean, you could technically, I mean, you do wow. that. Many there you go. a turn. You know, yeah. Like, my turn six, you can pick up a token. Yeah. Pillage is going to be interesting, right? Like, let's be honest. Right, right. There's going to be a really sad moment where somebody thinks that they can win a game by picking up a token, but they're behind a wall or an obstacle. Ah. <laughs> uh, I, I actually Aww. had that in a game where I had to tell the person that it was Sad Panda. They're like, we're going to finish off these siege breakers. No, you're not. No. You're not going to get within range because right. you can't move over this wall. Yep. <laughs> it's a very, very uh, under, underused rule. It's a very unknown <laughs> rule, I'd say. Until it happens well, to you, then you never yeah. forget. Well, I'm hoping you guys are excited as I am. I think this is. Uh, I think it's very interesting. I think they've mixed things up. I think the push has obviously uh, taken a very stale scenario and made, as Alex put it, a brand new scenario that we are going to see come out out of this uh, and you know hold the line and stockpile. Again, they're the same, but different. Like they're a unique take on things where they've kind of intermixed uh, some of the best parts of other scenarios, combined them into this new thing. And the stockpile is interesting. You got seven loot tokens. We've never had that many loot tokens on the table before. Hold the line instead of one box, like, or one circle, like in dominate or six, like control, you got three and they're all out of your deployment zone. So it's, you know, it's Clash of Kings, baby. I mean, that's what it's all about. Changing the game up, mixing it up, hopefully affecting the way people build lists. Play the same thing over and over again. Now is the time to try something new because... Yeah, I think I think scenarios change that more than anything, honestly. like I think, you know, I think Felix really undersold the need for for new scenarios. Like, it, it, to me, it, it's absolutely incredible. You know, I, I hope, I hope like, this continues to be a thing where, where new scenarios, like, like you know, two, three, even six new scenarios, right? Like, like I'd love to see that, like, where it's like, let's just change up the meta, right? Like, yeah, maybe they're not all balanced perfectly, but, you know, it's like, well, let's just change it up, make things interesting, you know? It's, it's like, they're not all winners, I get that, but... um but I'd love to. I love to see that. I like to me. I think that really changes the game. Keeps it really fresh. I definitely encourage uh, people in this as as you get your Clash of Kings books, read the scenarios, but then go back and read the ones that you don't even look up anymore because you've played them so many times. Because things have changed in this one that impact those. Read every scenario again before each game because there's a couple. They may seem like small things, but subtle changes that will affect your games of loot token scoring and which ones can slow you down and which ones can only be held by one unit, etc. And picking up on what Keith just said, secure position is one of those rules that's going to change the game. But also a lot of units, the unit strength has changed. Look at you, Gladestalkers. <laughs> <laughs> well awesome guys before we get out of here alex how is the planning for 2024 u.s masters going yeah thanks for asking it's it's going great we're definitely into the weeds already getting um some details short up um honestly I'm, I'm stoked i went to nova open this year 2023 um the venue is awesome um ton of space great location um honestly i'm, I'm super excited i left there really energized um 
the guys that run NovoOpen are awesome. They're they're like they're really in tune with wargaming. They know they know kind of you know what's what. And, and um, I, I couldn't be more excited for next year. I think I think um, our goal is to really run just a phenomenal event, and and I think it, it's gonna have that that cool showcase experience that you get from from a, a um, sort of event that's run as part of the con. I think I think. Um, that's something that, that we haven't done yet, and it's going to be different. And it brings in the people like from 40K or X-Wing or whatever. Hey, what's this game you're playing? Right. I love the opportunity here. I'm salivating at us being able to showcase this amazing game to people that haven't seen it before. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I want to you know, showcase it. That's our goal. Really put it on a platform to say, hey, guys, let's showcase our game, you know, our community and our game to the greater gaming community, right? Like, hey, who are those people over there rolling a ton of dice, having a ton of fun, right? What is going on there, right? That, that's kind of, you know, that's the, that's the vibes that we put out, and, and um, I'm certainly excited to, to do that. Mid-Atlantic is known for being great hosts. You guys have awesome GTs. Really looking forward to what you guys put together for this one. It's going to be awesome. I've, I haven't been to that many, but I did go to Mountaineer one year. It was a fantastic time, and I expect you guys to put on a, a hell of a show and uh, – yeah, we're lucky we have a we have an I mean I mean it we have an army of TOs helping yeah. behind the scenes here. I mean it is it is uh, I mean makes my job super easy. The question to Alex that everybody wants to know are you are you gonna play? Or are you are you gonna run it? I'm I'm gonna run, so I'm not playing. Ooh, all right, uh-huh. so that's two years in a row. Yeah, Adam Ballard didn't run it, and now you are. That's so now right. well, I'm I'm watched up here, so that's okay. <laughs> I haven't been relevant in the mass discussion in a while. So <laughs> it's it's uh it's, yeah. Why start now, Alex? Why start now? Exactly, exactly. Keith, over to you. What what events you got coming up in the Northeast? My first event's going to be a Mid-Atlantic event. Um, couldn't make Crossroads, unfortunately. Going to the Nerd Hammer GT. Cannot wait. It's going to be exciting. And they're using the new Clash of Kings book. So Rob posted something about it. He said, all right, we're going to come hell or high water. We are going to do this to the best of our ability. We will have Twilight Ken, and depending when people get their books... We may, you know, go even more into it, but super excited um, about that. To see all the guys. Um, they have a great venue too, Hershey, Pennsylvania. It's fantastic. Um, got a good Airbnb with uh, Corey Reynolds and some of the New York guys and my buddy Chris Murphy. After that is Dead of Winter, Mike Rossi, and then, I mean, Orktown GT, baby. Yeah, <laughs> then we're into the next year. Big shout out to Felix. Uh, you know, you guys are the rules committee. The, you know, I know the amount of work that went into this. This book has a lot of changes. Feels like this book might have the most impact on the meta than we've ever had from a Clash of Kings. Maybe I'm wrong. Ask my wife. I've been known to be wrong before, but I, I really feel like this one's going to be very impactful. So uh, we really appreciate you guys' effort on this. I know, you know, talking to you guys, it's a lot of time, a lot of work. It doesn't go unnoticed, and we appreciate it. Well, that's going to do us tonight. Until next time, keep countercharging. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on. Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons. Our astute masters back together and Felix and myself to chat about some more scenario stuff. Um, that was terrible. I'll start that over. <laughs> <laughs> that was like, you know how sometimes you do it? And you're like, yeah, that was.